You know, I mean, that's scary. That falls over in trouble, but it's okay. They've borrowed more money. It's going to be okay. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> it's okay. Trust. He thinks the world's in a pretty tough sort of a way. And, uh, you know, if you're just looking on the surface, I mean, and, I mean, the latest thing now is that they're taking up a poll where they want uh, Bert and Ernie to get married on Sesame Street so that they would, uh, you know, pr- provide preschoolers with a, an acceptable role model that it's okay to... I mean, we are under assault, guys. The church... Is under, this week, the Australian government has changed, put in legislation to the parliament to tax churches and charities. I mean, that is serious. You know, one might think, and this, this is not designed to be a political statement, but I think if you are being led by an atheist, that it might have all sorts of consequences. There's been several challenges to remove chaplains out of the school. There's been several challenges to marriage being retained as something between a man and woman. And right now they're trying to remove the ability for churches to trade tax exempt, which means that theoretically within a month that every time you tithe or give an offering, we have to give 33% of that to the government. Who knows that would be a serious change to the church charity landscape. So the church is under fire for multiple reasons, for, for multiple reasons, for multiple sources. And I think it's a day and age where we really do have to become good at spiritual warfare. And we've been doing a series on it. That we've stepped through the armor and we've looked at it all. And this morning I just want to actually try and pull it all together in a short space of time uh, and, and to redirect it because we've understood now that the armor is actually an allegory of something that we ought to do. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Yeah, it's exciting, you know, when you see the sword and you see the helmet and the thing. It's a wonderful metaphor. It's a wonderful verbal picture, but it is designed so that we would change something. And here's my incredible challenge. I've been preaching for almost 30 years. 30 years. Is my Twitch showing? 30 years. And I am really, really bothered by the thought that sermons don't change anybody. I'm, I'm really bothered by that thought. Now, you, you, you're probably agreeing with me. I mean, there's been some bad sermons I wanted to throw up over. <laughs> sermons don't change much at all. Um. If you've come to church this morning with a problem, it's unlikely that the sermon is the answer. God is the answer. And then sometimes there's a big gap between the sermon and connecting to the God that the sermon is meant to point to. And so I am incredibly um, passionate, if I can use that word, about helping us get into change behavior. If I preach a whole series on prayer and no one prays anymore or changes their behavior, then really what's the point? You've wasted your time. I've wasted your time. What is the point of consuming sermons and nothing changing? Uh, you're looking at me a bit strange. Okay. 
You're going to be a bit strange. So do we all go home now? (laughs) The Bible has said, though, that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching, and I feel very foolish, the foolishness of preaching to actually present that great message of life change and stuff. So I'm really hoping that God's going to help us as a church, me and you as individuals, that at the end of the series, that we won't just go and buy the CDs and all that sort of stuff and listen to all and then have no change. Because if we haven't adopted any change in that, we've wasted our time. So, look, there's a God factor, which I'm always looking for, praying and fasting, God, come, do that supernatural thing. And I still don't know after all these years, know where the line is between my personal responsibility to hear and obey and where it's God's responsibility to almost pick me up by the scruff of my neck and make me do something. You know, I, I, I've yet to figure that out. But when you look at the whole metaphor of spiritual warfare, once you put on these things of the, heart, the armor, the breastplate, you know, the sword, the, all these things, the Bible then goes on to say that you are then to pray in all circumstances in the spirit. So here's the bottom line, guys. Here's the big idea. Spiritual warfare is all about prayer. It's all about prayer, praying together in different ways in the Spirit in all occasions. If you want to win in life, you've got to learn how to win at prayer. If you win at prayer, you win at life. Does anybody know what a Sloydian flip is? A, a Sloydian flip. A Sloydian flip is a spoonerism thrown into a Freudian slip. <laughs> Freudian slip, of course, though, paraplex is an error in speech of memory where we have this situation where we end up saying subconsciously, subconsciously something that subconsciously. No, we end up confusing and expressing what we really think of. One of the famous Bushisms, George W. Bush, said on one occasion, our enemies are innovative and resourceful, and so are we. They never stop of thinking of new ways to harm our, harm our country and our people, and neither do we. <laughs> and before we're too hard on George W. Bush, I'm always amused by the church who put out the sign up the fr- out the front, this church loves hurting people. <laughs> oh, that might be a Freudian slip. So we end up with these sorts of things where out of our mouth comes something which is in our heart. And Jesus was very clear about that, didn't he? He says that it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. And when we spoke about last week the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, we tapped into the fact that the Greek says it's the spoken Word. It's not the written Word. It's that which you're speaking out. So when the sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon that you have, you can be fully defended and you're not going to get hurt much, but if you want to win, you do need an offensive weapon. And so the only offensive weapon we have is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and it's this spoken Word, this quickened Word, this rhema Word of God which comes out. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit 
on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So it's praying in the spirit as well. And I don't want to go too deep in that because time's very much gone. But it's not praying in the mind and it's not praying in the soul. They are different things. You can pray with the mind and you get all sorts of things happening and you can pray in the soul, but praying in the spirit is where the victory is won. And I'm just not talking about speaking in tongues, which is one way of speaking in the spirit, but it's also being very spirit-led. I want to talk to you about... uh, A very simple metaphor based on Matthew chapter 17. For the sake of time, I won't go uh, into the whole text. But it's the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. He takes Peter, James and John up to the mountain top. And why is there? He's transfigured before them. And and Peter says, let's make three houses for you to live in. And then there's a voice from heaven saying, this is my son. Listen to him. And there appeared on that mountain, of course, Moses and also Elijah. And I just think it's interesting that Moses was there because, friends, you need to change your revelation in order to change your destination. You need to change the word on your mouth to change your world. A different word on your mouth will create a different world for you. When you look at Moses, he's a type, as you, as you might think about, of the law. He was the law of Moses. It's the law of Moses. This is a voice of doing. It's all about performance to win acceptance. It's the do-do of religion. It's about being morally good in order to win acceptance by God, which is religion. It's not Christianity. It's not the gospel. It's not the good news, which is come home, all is forgiven. This There is a famous Buddhist monastery in Myanmar, in which the craftsman spent a lifetime, literally his whole life, carving out intricate shapes into the, into the rock to create this beautiful temple. And then towards the end, as he's creating all these Buddhas, he's going to create a thousand Buddhas, he broke one of the Buddha's figures in creating it. He was so overwhelmed by his failure that he committed suicide. Because all of life was about doing, 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 doing. And maybe then I can achieve karma. I can achieve some state of religious acceptance by God. Alongside Moses was also Elijah. The voice of Elijah is representative of the prophets. And the prophets remind us of our failure to keep the law, of our breach of God's rules. And here we have that voice that says you need to actually reform. So you've got the voice of obligation with Moses, the voice of condemnation from Elijah as representative forms. One saying perform, the other one saying reform. But they are both dead ends, religious heartache, where Jesus stands between those two voices and he doesn't say perform, work harder. He doesn't say reform, try harder. What he says is be transformed. There's something that happens when you accept Jesus Christ into your life and you take that step of faith where you allow him to change the internal dynamics in your life, you become born again, that you receive the new nature of God, that all the old things are passed away. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, the old is gone, and everything has become new. They're a brand new creation 
in Christ Jesus. So religion is about transformation. They see Jesus for who he is. He's transfigured before them and they learn of his mission. They go down the mountain to climb another mountain where Jesus is crucified on a cross. But at that particular moment, there is a cloud that, that, forms a, that falls upon the Mount of Transfiguration. And out of that it comes this thing, this is my son, listen to him. There is a quickened word of God that's so important if you're ever going to win in, this, win in the battle. Uh, a number of years ago, our church uh, had a, about two years ago, we had a staff member leave and some allegations and some stuff happened in which, uh, you know, it really rattled sort of like where we're at and stuff. And if you don't know, we have a $2 million mortgage on this particular property and we're not a large church. If you don't know, interest rates have gone up a bit in the last three years. One point percentage of, our, of an interest rate going up is literally a lot of money, incredible amount of money. And so there were some challenges and people were saying that the church is going to be insolvent, we're going to go bankrupt and all those sorts of things. And if you've been here long term, I've never pressured you as a church, never said anything. But that's that challenge that was presented to us. Them's the facts. And you know what I did? I said, God, it's my response because sometimes you can't plan your responses to trouble. But what I did was says, I'm going to go away and pray. I'm going to go away and seek God. So that's what I did. I went up to New Norcia, found my little cell up there by the monks and stuff, and locked myself down, no phones, no emails and stuff, and I just sought God. God, what are you saying in the middle of this? Do you know that a written word then is useful, but what you need is a quickened word. You need something that's got the charge of God upon it. God, talk to me. What are you saying? Because if I know what you are saying here, then I will try to obey what your direction is. Hey, it's simple. I'm not that smart. God, tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. And in that moment, I just felt God quicken. The passage from the Bible says, Do not be afraid, only believe. You know what? I felt that was a word from God. And that word from God got into my heart, and it's still there. Do not be afraid and only believe. This week, Kerry rings me up, was it last week, and tells me, because he's the treasurer right now, that our loan's expired and that none of the banks want to give us a loan. It's not a good time to be borrowing money, by the way, with the financial stuff around the world. And you know what? I had a word two years ago. I had a rhema, living word, two years ago. Don't be frightened, only believe. Hey, if that doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense to me either. <laughs> but you know what? It works. And it means what happens is I don't, I'm not afraid. And I'm believing. Because you've got a word from God. And you know, it's incredibly powerful. And I can look at different lives because I know your stories and stuff of different things. But when you get a rhema, word of God, it is your sword. It's the word of God and you need to put it on your lips, and out of that comes breakthrough. That's where you drive back the enemy because it's now then your weapon. 
There's something about it. I don't fully understand it. But when the word of God comes out of your mouth, things are shaped. They are created. They, that you, when you speak out doubt, you get doubt. If you say, I can't, well, you can't. If you say, I can do all things through Christ and strength, just maybe you can do all things through Christ and strength. But your words will determine your world. If you don't like your world, then change your words. I thought this morning as I was praying, dear God, I would love to anoint the tongues of everybody in church this morning. We'd have an altar call for the anointing of tongues. But I thought even if I use peppermint oil, the thought of going down and touching everybody's tongues may not be particularly off-putting for me, but might be off-putting for you. (laughs) But it's true. Friends, I'd love to say that there is a magical prayer that you could pray. There's a CD. There's a conference that you can go to. But I'm going to tell you the brutal honesty. If you do not change the words on your mouth, you will not change your world. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, that there is the power of life and death in the tongue. I like what the message version says. The message version says this, words kill and words give life. Poison or fruit, you choose. Guys, what do you want to eat in your life? Poison or or fruit. We get to choose. Their words can kill and words can get in life. And what I'd love to say to us, may God give us the ability to like people with the words that come off our mouth rather than death people and kill them and disappointment. I tell you, there's enough people out there going to tell you, you can't do this and you can't do that. They're going to steal your dream, steal your destiny, tell you what's wrong with you. You need to be a different shape, a different education, a different background. Well, I want to tell you, I want a world that's formed by the Bible that says that greater is he that's within you, that there's nothing that can destroy you, that if you will stand and stand, and stand, and having done everything, stand, and take up the shield of faith, you can quench all the attacks of the enemy, and take up the sword of the Lord, which is the word of God, the spirit, charged word on your mouth, and you will win. You are unstoppable. You are a terminator, sermonator. You can go and you can change the world by the words that you say. And there is no other way to win at warfare. It's not going away to the right mountain and having the right formulas. It's about getting yourself built with the truth in you and then the specific truth of you on your lips and say it, say it, say it. Um. One of the difficulties if you stay at the same church for long enough, they get to know all your stories. So some of you heard this story before. I can't help it. It's my story. I only have my story. I could use some of your stories, but that might breach your confidences and stuff. But in my first church many, many years ago, last millennium it was actually, that's how old I am now, I got a phone call about 3 o'clock at night. Might have been 2 o'clock. It was very early in the morning by a lady saying, my partner I'm living with, they weren't saved, uh, has been drinking for three days, had an alcoholic background, and is now intending on 
something very dangerous. Had an argument with his boss and uh, his, uh, this man who had been drinking for the three days had been smashing bottles and had a shotgun, a loaded shotgun on his lap and he was uh, saying he was either going to shoot himself or shoot his boss. And so I was asked to go and help. Now, I was young and silly in those days. <laughs> so I went. Now I'm just old and silly. <laughs> now I'm just old and silly. So you get on, I get in the, the house was over at Mundajong. I passed it in Rockingham. So I'm driving to Mundajong. It's going to take me about 20 minutes. Well, what do you pray? Dear God, I hope the car breaks down. <laughs> I hope I get a flat tire. You know, what do you pray? Well, I'm glad I'm Pentecostal because when I don't know how to pray, I know how to pray. And so God's given me this other language. So I started to pray in my heavenly language, not having any conscious understanding of what I'm saying. As I'm praying that, about 15 minutes into my drive and prayer and crying and sweating and fear and all that sort of stuff, but praying, I want to tell you something happened here. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that something had happened. I just knew it. And by the grace of God, all the glory to him, I walked into that thing and there's the man with his shotgun and all the broken glass sitting there drunk as a skunk. I walked in there, take the shotgun off him and within about half an hour lead him to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's pretty good, isn't it? God's really clever. I'm not clever. He was clever and so. I wouldn't do that anymore. So, well, maybe I would. I'm still silly. It's just an example, though. That's how warfare works. You know, if I'd got into fear or into the mind or into the soul, then there would have been no opportunity for victory. But there was victory there because I did what the Bible said. There's another occasion, I don't know if you're aware, but my wife and I, um, for many years, struggled to have children. And so we got married very young. I was 21 years of age and my wife had just turned 18. And uh, she was a very young 18-year-old. And we got married and we had some interesting times adjusting. Not that you would have had any interesting times adjusting. Uh, we, we, surprisingly, we fought mostly over religious issues. I thought I was God and she disagreed. <laughs> Oh, dear Lord. But we struggled to have children. Uh, we were like a lot of young couples. We put off children initially because, you know, of work and we wanted to buy a house and all that sort of stuff. So we put that off for a little while and then we got to the time when we wanted kids and the kids didn't come. And the kids didn't come. And the kids didn't come. I enjoyed trying, but the kids didn't come. And uh, then we got to a stage where my wife was, you know, taking her temperature and at the right time of the month she was very aggressive. Well, that was nice. <laughs> anyway, that, well, too much information because she wanted babies. She didn't want me. She wanted babies. Okay, so, so babies. So. And here we are. We're at Bible college and all the rest. But I prayed and I, I sought God and I believe God gave me a word that God would give us children a specific promise from God that would have children. But what we also did was 
is that in our little home over there in the Blue Mountains at Bible College, we actually created a baby room. We bought a cot. We bought the high chair. We bought all the stuff about our little baby. And so it was a bit weird because sometimes people would come into our home, you know, for a meal or something. We'd show them around the house and they'd see the, the baby furniture. Oh, you're expecting a baby. And you know what I'd say? Cause I had a word. Now that's not a written word, that's a rhema word. That's a promise from God. And look, we had to fight to stay there because at times there would be disappointments and all these other things would often happen. But in our heart it was settled, God, you are going to give us kids. And by the grace of God we have two of them. But I think I should have drowned them at birth. No, 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 no. <laughs> Oh, parenting can be such fun sometimes. <laughs> All the people who've had teenagers said, <laughs> telling the truth. Oh, you know, um, you know, Mr. Pinnell the other day just you know, said that one of the sermons recently just had the word of God come alive at a particular moment. I'm hoping that that's your experience Sunday by Sunday. I will say probably 5,000 words. But in those 5,000 words, the Spirit wants to take one of those words and make it yours, make it for you. And that's your sword for the week. Well, that's the sword for your issue. And I might be preaching on the tabernacle or something like that, and you might be facing a marriage issue or something, but God, the Holy Spirit, can take something out of that and make it yours. And then you say, okay, God, I know what you're going to do and I know how to walk forward. I know how to get victory now because I've got the sword of the Spirit. I've got a word of God that enables me to go forward. So, friends, let's put the word of God in our mouth. Um, Look, uh, very quickly. Judas, not Iscariot, in John chapter 14, says to Jesus, Jesus, if you're going to go away and come back again, why don't you show yourself to the world? And prove that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, I reckon that was a smart question. I reckon that was an incredible question. What he says is this. No, my word on your lips is as convincing as if I actually appear before them. Wow. Absolutely wow. The living word of God manifested here will have as much impact to shape your life as the word of God on your own lips. That's incredible. If you, if I gave you a choice today, who would like to see Jesus, the word of God manifested before you today in his living resurrected appearance? All of our hands would shoot up. That's me. Would you like that or would you like the word of God on your lips? We would say, give us Jesus, wouldn't we? But he actually says, it's the same. When they saw Jesus resurrected after death, they said, some doubted. You know, he saw lots of people, lots of people said, some walked away. Because at the end of the day, it's about faith. It's about faith. And if you see Jesus and his resurrection, you're still going to have to show faith. Was that some special trick that Mike did? Was I hallucinating? You can still have the same doubts if you saw Jesus manifested. But your the word of God on your lips expressed has power and effect as this very presence of Jesus Christ on the face of the earth. 
He wants us to, the devil wants us to shut up and to keep our mouth closed. Friends, it's not what's in you, it's who is in you. Let it out. Find your mountain. Find the place where you hear the voice, listen to Jesus, and you hear Jesus' word to you. God's stuff in you, and it will shine with power and strength. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Oh, there's great truth there. You know, this is the thing, is if I've not taken the time to put the word of God in my heart, when the problem, the challenge comes, the Holy Spirit comes and he starts to search through my heart. Starts to open up the drawers and the filing cabinets. Starts to examine my heart, looking for a word that he can use. But if there's nothing there except for fear and history and troubles and stress, then there's nothing for the Holy Spirit to use. So if you hide the word of God in your heart, that when the trouble comes, the Holy Spirit comes and he says, I can use that. And all of a sudden it becomes living and alive. Jesus was tempted just as we were for 40 days and 40 nights and he was tempted for three times. And he says on every occasion, it is written, it stands written, thou shall, thou shall. What's the thou shall for you? What's the personal decision? I will do this. I will. What's the quickened word of God for you? You know, in those three different temptations, Jesus said, I will only live on God's living word. I will not twist God's word for my benefit, and I will value God by putting him first. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him alone. Let's stand, shall we have the, the musicians up, and we're going to close. Thank you for gathering to God today and God's people. I appreciate that, the investment of your time. It's an emerging trend in the Western world where people go to church less and less and uh, wondering why their kids drift, wondering why life is changing around them. So thank you for being here. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ in a very personal way. And for many times I would actually say to people, look, we don't want you to join a church and, you know, that's, that's true. One way we don't want you to join a church. But it's also very true that becoming a Christian means that you've got to join a family. The whole gospel is about the good news of Jesus Christ is about coming home and finding that you're adopted in a family, that there's a place for you, and uh, all has been forgiven. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Runs away, lives a wild life, all that sort of stuff. And he came to his senses and he came home to a family. God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, God the Father is building a family that will live together forever and ever and ever. And there's a place for you. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? There's a place for you. But you're going to have to want to come. You're going to have to want to say... I'm returning home. I've come to my senses. Maybe you could just give us a moment of privacy. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior and you'd like to accept the great sacrifice that He did, if you understand that He died, that you could live, 
that he gave up that you could win, but he took the pain and the suffering for the punishment of your failures upon his own life. And you're prepared to let that exchange happen and uh, receive the miracle of eternal life. Say that you're sorry and come home to the family then you could do that this morning. Just while every head's bowed and just a moment of privacy. I want a few, if that's you today, and say, Pastor, I believe God's spoken to me today. I want to get my life right with God. Will you pray with me? We are not going to call you out the front. We're not here to make a spectacle of you or to make you feel embarrassed. But we do want to give you that opportunity to receive the gift of eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If that's you this morning, just slip your hand straight up in the sky, put it down again. I'll see it. We'll pray with you to receive the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name. If that's you, be brave. Conquer your fears. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, I actually want to pray for people today. Your worlds are in a mess, or that you just, God's just spoken to you about the whole area of taking command over your tongue. I want to pray with you this morning. James says, whoever contained their tongue contained their whole life, contained the whole body. And I really believe that this is biblical truth that you can actually build an entirely different direction on you. It will help you win in health, finance, relationships, ever. I want to be able to give you the sword of the Spirit this morning. And if God's spoken to you, can you just slip up your hand just very quickly? Yes, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, yes. Put your hands down. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. A lot of people. Yes. Fantastic. We're going to just pray now. We need a miracle now. God help us. God help us, dear God. Lord, I apologize to you. Lord, some of the things that have come off my tongue, Lord, has just been negative, full of fear. Lord, raw sewage at times. And Lord, I so apologize because I know, Lord, that poisons my life and it poisons the people around me. And I ask your Holy Spirit to come and to give me a sensitivity, Lord, to give me the ability to exercise self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit, Lord. We can exercise, Lord, self-control, Lord, over the words. And, Lord, I pray that we will put on our tongue Spirit-inspired words. Lord, help us, dear Lord, to find that place of transfiguration, Lord, where we don't hear the voice of obligation, we're not responding to the voice, Lord, of condemnation, but, Lord, we're responding to the voice of transformation and we hear what you say to us. Even now, dear God, I pray that you would speak and that your servant listens. I'm just going to pause for just a short while. Can you just raise your hand, just form a little funnel. I'm just going to ask right now, if you'll just place yourself into that, place of receptivity, Holy Spirit, speak. I'm going to pray. Speak. Let there be an image. Let a scripture come. Let something come right now from heaven above like a dove. 
falling from heaven. Let words fall into your heart right now. Words fall into your heart. Vision, revelation, a change of revelation to change your destination. A change of revelation to change you from condemnation. Dear God, inspire us, transform us, enthuse us with a word from heaven for our relationship, for our business, for my body, through the issues that I face in my life, dear God, Lord, speak, we pray. And we will then take the, take the responsibility to tell others about what you have told us in Jesus' name. Barry Cargill, I know you well. And, uh, you know, I don't do this very often, but Barry, I, I believe that you have another season in your life. I believe that you've been highly successful in your past career. In fact, you've been a high performer at everything that you've touched in your life. And you've come to a zone through an adjustment with your health that seems like it's just come to a dead end. And I know you have personally struggled with a great deal of pain and how that changes it. But I do believe that God has a word for you, that it's a, there's a reason for the season and that on the other side of this, God has something for you to do. And I believe it's in the area of advocacy. You've got the ability to go around and access information help. I believe you're going to become a little bit like the Holy Spirit. You're going to breeze into situations and blow out of situations, but you're going to come alongside to help. I believe that's a word for you. That's a word for you. Cleanse me. Don't let don't be conned out of a great future. Don't be conned out of it. You have an awesome future in God. Gloria, you've got a new season coming. You know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You know it. You already have a word from God. James, the call of God's upon your life, young man. You're growing so well. Keep going. And I could tell many of you, many of you, there are seeds in your life. Things that God's whispered over your life. God's going to do incredible things. God, we pray that you'll put a guard over our mouth. Lord, we choose today, Lord, to understand that words kill, but words give life. Words give life. And I'm going to eat oranges. I'm going to eat bananas. I'm not going to eat poison in Jesus' wonderful name. Can you say amen? Amen. Praise God. I am sorry I've gone a little bit long, but people pinch my time, all that sort of stuff and things. So God bless you. Let's sing Happy Day. It's my favorite. <laughs>